Doctors are among the most trusted people that we know. Your doctor tells you something, you take their word for it that he or she is telling you in good faith that this is what's going to be good for you. They're higher. They're up there on the pedestal. And so when they spread misinformation, it is triply damaging. There are over a million licensed physicians in the United States, and state medical boards are responsible for making sure those doctors are doing their jobs correctly. But Lena Sun, a national reporter for The Post, along with our colleague Lauren Weber, heard about doctors during the COVID-19 pandemic who were giving out bad advice or debunked information, or worse, they were prescribing bad treatments. Lena and Lauren started finding that surprisingly few of these doctors seemed to face any real consequences when they spread false information. Patients were prescribed ivermectin and patients died. And the doctor had to pay a fine and take continuing medical education. And that's all that happened to him. It wasn't easy to find these stories or even find the records of what doctors had been investigated. But Lauren and Lena knew they were out there. And so they started digging. You know, we were able to find these folks, but getting there was an enormous lift. We looked at over 2,500 records. We had to pour through lawsuits, and we also read local news clips to try to find where these people were, what action had been taken against them. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Thursday, July 27th. I'm your guest host, Will Oremus. Today, the challenges of reining in medical misinformation, even in the doctor's office. We talk with national health reporter Lena Sun about a months-long investigation into what oversight exists for the people we trust most with our health. Over the past year, you've spent a lot of time digging into this thing that's made your job and our lives even more difficult, which is medical misinformation. Obviously, misinformation is not a new phenomenon, but how big of a deal was this during the pandemic? So medical misinformation, and here we're referring to false and misleading statements, has been around forever. Even before the pandemic, a lot of that was swirling around and causing many families not to get vaccines against measles, for example. And that's why we've had all these measles outbreaks. It got supercharged during the pandemic, in part because we were dealing with a scary new virus and science did not know that much about this virus. They were learning about it in real time. Could people get sick? Could you transmit the virus if you didn't have symptoms? That's called asymptomatic transmission. And initially we thought, no, but of course it turns out, yes, you can. Science is an iterative process. In other words, you posit something, you see if the evidence shows up, then you see if that can be repeated again and again. And if not, then you maybe try something else. So science was changing, but as a result, the average person was confused legitimately. And in that vacuum, you had all these organizations and individuals rushing in to fill that void, 
And they filled that with a lot of misinformation about COVID-19, about the virus, about the vaccines, and about what were effective treatments. Today, I issued a Surgeon General's advisory on the dangers of health misinformation. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy came out with a health advisory, his very first as Surgeon General, about the dangers of misinformation. We live in a world where misinformation poses an imminent and insidious threat to our nation's health. And the FDA Commissioner Robert Califf has been talking about this nonstop for the last couple of months. We spoke about it at the Aspen Ideas Festival in June, and he basically was saying that misinformation is a leading cause of preventable death. Um, in many people, we lost the ideological battle, and they died completely unnecessarily. So it's not you just get the wrong information. There's delayed opportunity cause because then you are not going to get the right treatment that could save your life. All right. So now, can you tell me what you've spent the past year investigating? What question did you have and what did you want to find out? So myself and my indefatigable colleague, Lauren Weber, and our invaluable researcher, Hayden Godfrey, have tried to determine what kind of discipline has been meted out to doctors who spread COVID misinformation and mislead people about vaccines and treatments. And it's especially harmful when it's doctors, because think about it. You say, this is what this doctor who has a medical degree in a white coat, this is what this doctor says, and that's what goes. So you've spent much of the past year digging into this question of doctors giving out misinformation during the pandemic. What did you find out? So we were able to look at several doctors in depth. One of them is a doctor in Oregon. His name is Stephen LaTulip. He's a family medicine doctor. And in September of 2021, the Oregon State Medical Board fined him $10,000, but they also revoked his license for refusing to follow COVID-19 guidelines and endangering public health and patient safety. And that included spreading misinformation about masks and Remember, this came at a time when it was the height of the pandemic. It was the first year. That spring, everyone was scared. Cases were going up. And he and his staff did not wear masks in the office. And patients who went to his clinic were told to to take off their masks. And he told them, Things like masks were dangerous, and he told them erroneously that masks could contribute to strokes, carbon dioxide poisoning, and collapsed lungs. Wow. And so were you able to connect with any of Dr. LaTulip's patients? Yes. As it turned out, Dr. LaTulip filed a lawsuit against the board, state medical board, for them taking the action against him when they started the investigation. And the board held hearings. um, That's part of their process. And transcripts of those hearings were attached to the lawsuit, which we were able to get. And in the transcripts, I was able to find the names of two patients who had filed complaints against LaTulip. One of them was Margaret Murphy. Um, Do you want to briefly just recount what happened he was your doctor, what you were seeing him for, 
Um, when you went to see him for the stuff, who was 60 at the, the time and a longtime patient who saw him in the spring of 2020 at a time when vaccines were not widely available. And he told her that masks were the reason for her high blood pressure. And she was so angry and upset about what he told her. She left his practice. She found another doctor. What did you tell the new doctor about why you were switching? Oh, I told him. I, I, I told him exactly why, you know, and he kind of rolls his eyes. I mean, you told him, Stephen Latoul told you that masks were causing your high blood pressure, and oh, then yeah. your new doctor just kind of rolled his eyes? Yeah, and, and, and like I said, you know, and I had mentioned, I wouldn't, you know, I wonder who to even, who to report him to. He changed her meds. Her blood pressure went down, period, full stop. The other patient was the mother of Kathy Ellis Kellerman, and I talked to Kathy about what happened in the office that day. I had no idea I'd go into a doctor, and they the first thing they tell me is take off your mask. They're they're killing you, or what, what were they saying? It was her mother, Doris, who was the patient. The way it happened was we went in. Doris was ninety five at the time, longtime patient. They went in for a checkup. Then he came in. He didn't have a mask on. And the office staff told them to take off their masks. And Kathy was really upset about that because the virus is much more dangerous for older people like her mom. And she thought she really did not like the way he was operating and what he was telling her. And after they left the office, she was trying to decide whether she should file a complaint against him. And she wasn't sure... One doctor friend told her that she had to because that's the way the investigation works. But it was only after LaTulip's office called again to say they wanted to reschedule appointments for her mother, and she asked them, well, are you guys wearing masks? And they said no. I said, well, then I'm never coming in. I'm never bringing my mom to see you again. That she said, well, that's it. And she filed a complaint, and that's partly how the investigation against LaTulip proceeded. Wow, this is harrowing. I mean, this is the person that you're trusting with your health, with your life, really. And and they're steering you in an incredibly wrong direction. Were you able to talk to Dr. Latulip about it? Yes, I had to try numerous ways. His office has a recording. That Thank you for calling the office of Dr. Stephen Latulip. We are officially closed. says he's no longer taking care of patients and people can donate to his fundraising. Um, we thank you for your prayers and all your condolences and everybody trying to be there for us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. I was finally able to reach him a couple weeks ago, and he didn't give me very much of his time. He basically hung up on me. He has sued the board. A higher court in Oregon has rejected that. And he did tell me that he is appealing his case to the Oregon Supreme Court. You mentioned that Dr. Latulip had his license revoked. Was this a case where the process, the discipline process, worked as it should? He was the only doctor that had his license revoked. In our investigation, we looked at all the disciplinary actions that can be taken. And this is the most serious one, of course. Basically, there's a saying in Chinese, smashing your rice bowl, right? You can't, you can't make a living. But what we found in the investigation was that very often there were few repercussions. 
After the break, we'll learn more about the doctors accused of spreading misinformation to patients and what happened, or more often didn't happen, next. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. So Dr. Latulip was the only one who had his license revoked, but I think you're going to tell me he was not the only doctor who was out there giving out potentially harmful misinformation. Correct. We found 20 doctors who had been penalized, but there is a range of discipline that can be meted out. In some cases, it's really just, you know, doctors being told, okay, you stop doing this, go take some medical education hours or pay a fine. Or they might have a warning letter put in their file or they might be put on probation where they have to check in with the board. Some doctors surrendered their licenses, but... Ultimately, the only one who had his license revoked was Dr. Latulip. So maybe you could tell us a little more about some of those doctors who faced less serious consequences. So in Wisconsin, we looked into a doctor, Edward Hagen, who prescribed ivermectin to two patients. Ivermectin is not recommended for treatment of COVID by it's not authorized or approved by the FDA and not recommended by the CDC. It's used for treating, you know, parasitic disease. He prescribed ivermectin to two patients, both of whom died afterwards. And the Wisconsin Medical Board reprimanded Hagen for failing to conform to the standard of minimally competent medical practice and causing unacceptable risk of harm to a patient or the public. And the board suspended his medical license, but that suspension was immediately set aside because Hagen agreed to complete nine hours of education and pay $3,943 to cover the costs of the board investigation. Hagen told us it's not uncommon to use medications off-label and that he would still prescribe ivermectin today because he believes in its effectiveness, even though multiple scientific studies dispute that claim. And he's still practicing, to be clear? Yes. Wow. And I take it he's not the only one. He's not the only one. 
In Massachusetts, there is another doctor, John Diggs, who is under investigation for prescribing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine for a patient who died in 2022 after that patient was intubated. Hydroxychloroquine is not approved or recommended for COVID either. And the medical board accused Diggs of providing treatment to patients that fell, quote, below the standard of care, quote, unquote. And it also accused him of disseminating misinformation on a radio program. And Diggs also allegedly used treatment that led at least two other physicians to lodge complaints against him. And those doctors wrote to the board to say, we fear that other patients may be at risk because of similar actions, and they asked the board to investigate. We reached out to Diggs, but he declined to talk to us. But in board documents that detailed his response to the charges, he denied spreading misinformation on the radio show. But he did admit to prescribing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and pushing for treatment of COVID based on, quote, studies from recognized medical professional organizations, unquote. All right. So, Lena, let's talk about how this is supposed to work. Who's responsible for keeping track of doctors and holding them accountable if they're uh, doing something wrong? So in each state, there are medical boards that license and regulate the practice of medicine by physicians. And we asked for records from all of these bodies. The state medical board's members are typically appointed by the governor. So in that sense, they may be subject to political influence. But they all are governed by a Medical Practice Act in which each state will define what is the appropriate way to practice medicine and also what constitutes unjust or unprofessional or negligent conduct. These boards are also responsible for renewing the doctor's licenses, a lot of other logistical administrative stuff, and they are under-resourced underfunded. And during the pandemic, what we have seen is that even though the boards, it's in their power to regulate doctors and discipline them and they can revoke licenses, in some places, states have passed laws specifically to get around this authority. So some boards have had their authority reined in, and that's making it difficult for them to do the job. And what I need to add is also, in most cases, the state board does not even begin an investigation until there's a specific complaint. And that requires somebody coming forward to do so. And, you know, I think a lot of times people don't want to. So it is a difficult and long process. And even once that process starts, it takes a long, long time because they want to be able to give the physician a chance to defend himself or herself. The physician can bring their expert witnesses. This can drag on for over a year. And what I was told was that in some cases, especially during the pandemic when COVID-19 misinformation was rampant, 
Sometimes a board might get a complaint against a doctor, and maybe they would pick up the phone and call the doctor and say, hey, we're hearing X, Y, or Z. We don't want to have to go through this process. And then that would be enough for the doctor to stop doing what they were doing. That's what the Federation of State Medical Boards is telling us, the nonprofit that represents all state medical boards. So... It sounds like the pandemic exposed weaknesses that were in the system already. What if a doctor genuinely believes that that maybe these treatments do work and that it, they just haven't been proven yet? You know, where's the line between the doctor trying to do something they think is right in the face of uncertainty versus prescribing something that, that we know is harmful? I think that... In the case of these two treatments that they were using, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, there's multiple, multiple studies that show that they are not effective. They don't work. And in the case of hydroxychloroquine, it can have potentially serious harmful effects, cause serious heart problems. I think the tricky line is they are going against medical consensus, like the medical consensus that you don't use ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine is very, very strong. And there are harms involved. That's where that line is drawn. The other important thing to remember is patients who are getting these alternative, not approved, not recommended treatments, there's a delayed opportunity cost because they are not getting the things that could make them better, that could prevent them from dying. All right, Lena, I want to wrap by asking you, what can we do about this? What can patients or the public do to identify red flags with doctors, notice if they might be peddling bad information? How can you avoid it happening to you or your loved ones? I think you have to be really vigilant and make sure that you read. You read stuff that comes with a good stamp of credibility. And it doesn't have to be just the CDC or the FDA. Medical associations, other groups that are legitimate, um, infectious disease groups, there are, I think, attempts to make more clear to the average person what is the bad information and what is good information. But I agree that it is it is hard. People can actually go on to the DocsInfo website to see if their doctor is licensed in what state and if there are any actions pending. But unfortunately, as we've discussed, it takes too long for final actions to be posted. We found this information because we asked the board for it. In most cases, only the final outcome of an investigation is put out on the website, not if you're a doctor under investigation. Lena Sun, health reporter at The Post, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was great to do this conversation. Lena Sun is a national reporter focusing on health. She co-reported this story with Lauren Weber and Hayden Godfrey. Thank you to Tracy Chan. And that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Alana Gordon. It was edited by Maggie Penman. It was mixed by Sam Baer. I'm Will Aremus. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.
Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.